Close Horse is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Picnic wear, a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and dead stock textiles. Picnic wear strives for minimal waste, but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Find Picnic wear on Instagram at Picnic wear, and that's wear, W-E-A-R, and at www.picnicwear.com. No flight back vintage, bringing fun new life to old things always using recycled and secondhand materials to make dope-ass shit for dope-ass people. See more on Instagram at NoFlightBackVintage. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room. All while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Shop Journal Vintage, specializing in upcycled, handmade, and vintage fashion for all genders. Owner Laura makes each piece by hand with love in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with an emphasis on upcycled menswear, tie-dye, modern jewelry, cottagecore collars, and everything in between. Shop Journal makes pieces they love and hopes you will too. Getting dressed should always be fun. See more on Instagram at shop underscore journal. Old Flame Mending helps you keep your clothes intact through clothing repair, visible mending, and tailoring. Through extending the life of textiles, Old Flame Mending makes your pieces not only wearable and functional again, but also unique and beautiful. This mending duo is based in Pittsburgh, but they take mail-in mending orders from anywhere in the U.S. For more information, visit them at oldflamemending.com or follow them on Instagram at oldflamemending. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. 
Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Wide-Eyed Vintage, a curator of truly covetable vintage from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wide-Eyed Vintage encourages the experimental spirit of dressing up and will provide you with all the special pieces that will make your wardrobe truly unique. Dedicated to preserving the craftsmanship of clothes, Wide-Eyed Vintage only selects pieces that are well-made, pieces that have been proven to last beyond their lifetimes, so you too can enjoy them for more lifetimes to come. See more on Instagram at wide underscore eyed underscore vintage. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in Western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at Thumbprint Detroit. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage retailer that is dedicated to bringing you those special vintage pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just an online store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a new charitable organization each month, amplifying and supporting causes like food insecurity, racial justice, homelessness, and LGBTQ support. For the month of April, St. Evans will be donating to Welcome to Chinatown, a grassroots initiative that is supporting and amplifying community voices to preserve one of New York City's most vibrant neighborhoods. Your vintage purchase from St. Evans supports a small, women-of-color-run business while giving back to the collective community we're all a part of. New Vintage is released every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time at wearsaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's at where saint evens. Shop Vintage 
do good, and wear St. Evans. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles by embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. Welcome to Close Force, the podcast that is recorded behind a wooden screen that's covered with a moving blanket. Yes, that's right. And of course, I'm also wrapped in a blanket myself. The glamorous life of podcasting. I'm your host, Amanda. This is episode 71, the penultimate episode of Capitalism Month, what some people like to call April. And today is chock full of stuff, as always. But like good stuff, not like Ziploc bags and socks that have lost their mates, which we have a crazy amount of partnerless socks in this house. I don't know where they go. That's a whole other podcast. That's probably actually just like a really boring stand-up bit. Anyway, we only have good stuff here at Close Horse today. Sarah of She Rhymes with Orange will be joining me to talk about her business, which is helping people clean out their closets, including support reselling and donating all of that stuff and just making the tough decisions of what to part with and how to do it. And I think you're going to learn a lot of really helpful tips from her that you can use in your own life for cleaning out your closet, for reselling your things, etc. I also have not one, but two hotline calls for you. And I'll be breaking down one of the pillars of capitalism, freedom. But first, it's time to shout out the newest Patreon supporters. First is Hannah Kent from Vancouver, BC, aka Canada. Hannah is a lovely writer. Yes, I checked out her website, hellobertha.com, and I feel so honored to be supported by someone so talented and thoughtful. Thank you, Hannah. Next is Liz Funk, who has just been such an incredible supporter and cheerleader of both Clothes Horse and the department. She sent me the loveliest message. She always comments on our Instagram post and has so much great positive feedback. She's also super rad. So knowing that she appreciates my work just makes me feel so good, like I'm on the right track here. So thank you so much, Liz. 
Amelia Schroyer is also a new patron, and I, as usual, try to stalk her on the internet, but like, you know, in a really loving way, and I just couldn't find anything. But I'm just assuming here that Amelia is super cool because she listens to Close Horse. So thank you so much for your support, Amelia. Last but not least is Jamie Conti. And guys, not only am I pretty sure that Jamie is my first supporter from Tennessee, she's also a poet, which is so cool. The Close Horse Patreon is filled with just the coolest and most creative people. I feel so honored. Thank you for your support, Jamie. If you're interested in joining this group of the coolest people ever by supporting my work on Close Horse via Patreon, you can find out more at patreon.com slash podcast. You'll also get to listen to some pretty cool Patreon exclusive episodes. If Patreon's not your thing because, you know, it's a commitment, it feels weird, it's a strange interface, you can also send a direct donation via Venmo to at crystal underscore visions. And while we're mentioning that, I want to shout out some amazing people who have supported my work recently via Venmo and Square. Caroline Alsup, Annie Beam, The Article, Chris Warfield, Mary Doyle, and Harmony. You know, I also just want to give a special shout out here to Sammy of Dylan Page. I did an Instagram live with her a few weeks ago, and in it, she mentioned that I don't bring up Patreon enough, that I don't remind people that they can support me. Uh, I mean, I bring it up in every episode, but like never anywhere else. Uh, And I was like, okay, you know what? You're right. You're right. I need to do a better job of this, and I think it's working. So... Thank you, Sammy, for encouraging me. Thank you to all of you who support me by sharing my content, sending me nice messages, telling your friends to listen, and just listening yourself. So thank you so much to all of you. All right, well, let's plug in the Hello Kitty phone and take some calls from the Close Horse Hotline. Our first call is from Melissa of Sister Midnight Vintage. Hi, Amanda. This is Melissa from Sister Midnight Vintage, a longtime listener, first-time caller. I want to say that I love the podcast, and I was listening to your episode last week about employee discounts and um, how you had witnessed some people, like coworkers, getting bullied for how they dress at work, and I wanted to share my story. In 2008, right when I moved to San Francisco, my first job in college, I worked at Crossroads Trading Company, and I was a buyer, but I got pulled aside by my manager because of my street-style clothing, and he basically told me that how I was dressing wasn't representative of uh, the current fashion trends and that the people coming in the cell wouldn't trust my knowledge because of how I looked. But really, I was just like a fashionable young punk who had always gone to thrift stores, and I loved vintage, and he told me I was buying too much vintage and that I needed to pay more attention to like mall brands, basically, and true religion jeans, things like that. So needless to say, they didn't appreciate my personal style, so I quit later that month, but it was a learning experience. and realized that wasn't the place for me and then later on I found much more enjoyable jobs working at vintage stores and that's led me to what I do now so want to say thanks again 
uh, for bringing that up because I think no one should get bullied for how they look at work and how you look doesn't really represent all the vast knowledge you might have about so many things. So thanks again. Bye. Thank you so much for calling, Melissa. Also, I just want to say that Melissa has amazing style. Yes, I follow her on Instagram. She's super cute. She wears great clothes. She has nice hair. Her style is very unique and cool. And Crossroads doesn't deserve someone as rad as her. It's interesting to me because I have to say, I'm surprised that a secondhand place would sort of try to control the way their employees dressed, you know, from like an aesthetic perspective. I get that there would be rules like you have to wear closed-toed shoes and whatnot, like safety-related things. But I tend to look at the people who work in secondhand stores like Crossroads or Buffalo Exchange and Beacon's Closet. I look at them as these like mini style icons who inspire all the customers who come through that store every day. And remind them that secondhand is super stylish and super personal and unique. So that's really lame that someone bullied Melissa about her clothes. I also just want to add that after my conversation with Alex, where we talked about the bullying that we witnessed at work, that I witnessed at work, it inspired me to talk to Kim, my co-host of the department, about doing a crossover episode. So Kim will come over here to Close Horse and we're gonna talk about toxic work environments, bullying and how we can change that in our own workplaces. Because Kim, Kim and I have some stories and I will be very honest with you, I am still processing some of the trauma and anxiety and just overall bad things that I experienced even at my most recent job. And you shouldn't get PTSD from your job, right? Especially when you're just like working in an office, you know? So that will be coming in May for Labor Month. And I'm just so excited to talk about that because we don't talk about that kind of stuff enough. I mean, when I say we, I mean all of us, not just me and Kim or you guys and me, but like everyone ever, society, I guess. We talk too much about like the things you should never put on your resume if you ever want to get hired or the worst things you can say in an interview. But we never say, hey, what if the place you work is shitty? So we're going to talk about it. So coming soon in a few weeks. Also, I'm just going to remind you that I want to hear about your experiences with work. I only have one message so far, and Labor Month is just around the corner. You can call the Close Horse Hotline like Melissa did, and that number is 717-925-7417, or you can send me a voice memo recorded on your phone or your computer, and you can send that via email to amanda at closehorse.world. All right, next I have a message from Noah who recently shared an incredible incredible outfit repeater post at clotheshorse.world. It's an amazing flannel shirt that he has patched with all kinds of cool fabric. Every piece of fabric has a story and he shared it all. And please, please go check that out. Let's hear what Noah has to say. Hi, Amanda. This is medium time listener, first time caller, Noah. I just listened to the newest podcast episode and I really appreciated the discussion you had with Rebecca about gendered clothing and wanted to share some thoughts I have on the topic as a cis man who wears mostly masculine clothes. I feel like every few months I see something online about a fashion designer uh, releasing clothing using labels like genderless, gender neutral, unisex, or androgynous, and it's heralded as groundbreaking or revolutionary. 
And while challenging binary concepts of gender in all aspects of our lives is important, I think the type of genderless fashion that shows up on runways still needs development. I noticed they fell into three categories in their interpretation of genderless fashion. The first, which you talked about in the podcast, which seems to be the most common, is the use of styles commonly associated with men's fashion, like suits and garments with boxy silhouettes, in clothing for people of all genders. It's hardly a new trend, but I think it's shifted from adapting menswear into something more feminine, into the suggestion that menswear is somehow neutral. The second form of genderless fashion is the opposite, where feminine clothing styles like skirts and dresses and certain colors of patterns are worn by people of all genders. There's less of a historical precedent for this extreme fashion, uh, but I think it's something that's becoming more culturally acceptable. But still, a masculine-presenting person wearing clothing with feminine connotations is still interpreted as a man in women's clothes. And while I think people should be able to wear what they want, that interpretation still reinforces binary concepts of gendered clothing by presenting it as something outside the norm. The third form of genderless fashion disregards all norms of fashion and attempts to create clothes that either have no identifiable gendered features or mix several together. Those are pieces like jumpsuits or weird geometric pieces that look sort of dystopian to me and are impractical for everyday wear. In all these examples, it's really weird to me that the idea of genderless clothing either manages to reinforce binary ideas of gendered fashion or decide that the only way to strip clothing of gendered connotations is to make it look like you're wearing a giant box. The simplest answer to me is just that clothing shouldn't be gendered to begin with, and it bothers me that high fashion is trying so hard to come up with an impractical solution when the answer should just be wear whatever you want. The second thing I wanted to share was my experience as a man who wears what he wants regardless of the gender is intended for. I really liked Rebecca's anecdote of people's eyes lighting up when she said the garments were unisex, and I honestly think that a lot of men are just looking for permission to wear whatever they want. In the before times when I went to shows or parties, I would always get dressed up in elaborate outfits, and I have a very vivid memory of one time when I went to a house show in this long vintage floral dress I thrifted that was absolutely amazing. I was a little anxious about whether people would be an asshole about it, but to my surprise, some of the best reactions I got were from super bro-y dudes who thought it was awesome that I was wearing a dress. I live in a very liberal college town, so I know that affects things, but it was so interesting to see all the reactions I got, and several guys said things to me like, I wish I could pull that off. I was wearing the dress because I liked it, and I'm not terribly concerned with performing masculinity, but comments like that tell me that there is progress that can be made in changing gendered views of clothing. And the way to do that isn't by designing clothes specifically stripped of all gender connotations, but just by giving people permission to wear what they want and affirming that a dress being worn by a man is a man's dress. Anyway, that's my rant. Thank you for doing what you do and have a great day. Thank you so much for such a thoughtful message, Noah. I don't even have much to add because you've pretty much said it all. But just to reiterate, genderless clothing isn't about futuristic jumpsuits or menswear in smaller sizes. It's about everyone just wearing what they like, what makes them feel like the best versions of themselves. Even as a cis woman working in the fashion industry, where you would assume there aren't a lot of parameters about what you can and cannot wear to work, I've encountered that gender bias that's associated with certain types of clothing. Like... If I was going to be presenting to some executives or potential investors, I couldn't show up in a flowery dress or a lacy blouse because those things are so inherently, quote, feminine that surely wearing something like that would indicate that I was incompetent about business. The implication being that women aren't good at business and a woman wearing traditionally, quote, feminine styles is so womanly 
that she couldn't possibly have a head for business. I mean, that's an entire other episode right there, right? Business clothes, why they are the way they are, the gender bias that business clothes embody. Okay, that's actually a really good future episode right there, so I'm putting a pin in that. (laughs) Anyway, I would love to hear all of your feelings about the genderization of clothing. Is genderization a word? I don't even know, but... It looked good on paper. I said it out loud. It sounded weird. But what are your thoughts on gender and clothing? This is such a massive issue. There are so many things to discuss here. And it's important that people of all genders, backgrounds, and ages are included in this conversation. So please reach out. I want to hear from everyone. And this is a great segue into something else I wanted to mention. June, I know it feels really far away, but it's really only like four and a half weeks away. June will be personal style month here in the Clothes Horse universe. So for the blog for clotheshorse.world, we want your stories about your journey to finding your personal style or maybe you have something you want to write about gender and fashion. Maybe the way your style has shifted throughout your life. Maybe how that's shifted as you've grown and changed as a person. I don't know. There's so many things you could write about here. If you're interested in doing that, if you have a great idea, reach out to us at submissions at clotheshorse.world. It doesn't have to be a fully fleshed out piece. It can be a few sentences just explaining your idea and we'll help you sort that out. But it's important that you do it sooner than later because the blog process, it's a little slower than say you calling the hotline and me putting it in the episode, right? And we also need to get you on the calendar and do a lot of other planning and whatnot around it. So if you have an idea there, even if it's just the littlest nugget of an idea, send it our way. And that email address again is submissions at clotheshorse.world. And speaking of clotheshorse.world, this week, the final week of Capitalism Month, the entire blog team, so Carrie, Meg, Haley, and me, Amanda McCarty, we will be sharing an essay about our personal experiences with creativity and capitalism. One essay each day this week. So please check those out. I've read them all many times and they are all just so great. We're coming down the home stretch of Capitalism Month and we have two pillars of capitalism left to tackle. And in this episode, we're going to talk about freedom. Freedom in a capitalist economy means that no one can tell you what to do in order to earn money and no one can tell you how to spend it. In theory, because, you know, that's the catch with capitalism. It's a theory that doesn't account for the inherent flaws of humans. Well, in theory, this freedom sounds great. You can make a living in any way you want, and you can spend your money on anything you want. I mean, this sounds awesome. As I've mentioned previously, like way back in the very first episode of Capitalism Month, when I basically gave you a short bullet point about each pillar of capitalism, I mentioned that libertarians love this freedom aspect of capitalism. And I realized that I never really defined what a libertarian was. So this is a great time to get out the dictionary or let's let's say Wikipedia here and define libertarians, okay? 
Libertarians seek to maximize autonomy and political freedom, emphasizing free association, freedom of choice, individualism, and voluntary association. Meaning libertarians want minimal government intervention in their lives. They want to be able to buy guns whenever they want and have as many as they want. They're not fans of gun control. They don't want to deal with driver's licenses and car registrations. Like I literally saw a van parked at the mall a long time ago with Justin that in place of a license plate had a little placard about freedom. It was a libertarian driving that van, of course. Uh, They want little to no taxation. They want the smallest government, right? And they don't want the government regulating business or really anything else for that matter. And when it comes to that lack of business regulation, that resembles a lot of conservative right-wing thinking. But conversely, and this is where it can get kind of confusing because you're like, oh, I guess libertarians are just extreme Republicans, but actually... They're not because libertarians tend to be more left-leaning when it comes to social issues. They believe drugs and all sex work should be legalized. They don't care who marries whom. They don't beat a drum of family values and all that nonsense. Libertarians want true 100% freedom. When I look at a Venn diagram of, say, liberals and conservatives, so they each have their own circle, libertarians are surprisingly the point where the two circles overlap. They want that lack of regulation and the smallest government possible, like the conservatives, but they're also super liberal on social issues. I know that that was a strange detour, but I think you can't talk about freedom without dissecting all the things it can mean to different people. And you can see the libertarians are really in pursuit of the purest version of freedom. Like all things we've talked about when it comes to economic and political theory, even the libertarians are operating under this assumption that people are somehow perfect and that they will never make bad mistakes that harm other people. They'll never get too greedy. They'll never lose the empathy and commitment to just being a good person. That's how all these things fall apart. Now, like I said, both conservatives and libertarians want minimal government oversight, like they want minimal regulations around environmental protections, consumer safety, workers' rights, banking and financial policy, education, you name it. In the purest form of capitalism, the government doesn't do anything. It doesn't even maintain the bridges or run the schools. Private companies would do all of that. And the government wouldn't have any say in how this stuff happens, how people pay for it, how much people pay for it, and how the workers doing all of this are treated. It's all based on the free market. In this version of the free market where people don't get greedy, where people are all just decent people, this would all work out just fine. We have seen this Even without having a pure free market, we have seen this go terribly awry, right? This idea of freedom is 100% the opposite of socialism, which says, hey, let's let the government handle the big industries like healthcare and education, and let's make sure the government is also keeping a close eye on everything else. In some ways, socialism basically is saying, hey, you can't really trust people 
to always do the right thing and not be greedy, et cetera, et cetera, which I agree with. But one of the many flaws of socialism, because all of these ideas, these theories have flaws, is that socialism doesn't take into account that the people running the government involved in the government could also be people who are greedy or corrupt or don't care about the greater good. And that is how socialism can go awry. And speaking of people being imperfect, <laughs> we have seen over the last 100 years how the government has had to step in to say, force tobacco companies to make cigarettes less flammable, or how about this, stop lying to us about how cigarettes cause cancer. Uh, we've had to have the government step in to take the lead out of gasoline to stop companies from dumping waste into rivers, even though this still happens in the garment industry, we've just outsourced it overseas. Private companies, it turns out, could not be trusted to do the right thing. And so the government had to step in. And I would say the government needs to step in a whole lot more. For example, this is just a few off the top of my head, to stop retailers from throwing out perfectly good stuff, to make companies stop overproducing and creating more and more waste. Remember that 45 billion garments that are produced every year that no one will wear? What if the government stepped in and made laws regulating that kind of nonsense? That could be a good move, right? What if they punished companies that weren't allowing workers to unionize and were using shady tactics to prevent workers from collectively bargaining? I mean, I could go on and on here, but even the minimum wage is an example of the government stepping in and saying, hey, it turns out that we can't trust you to pay workers fairly, so here's a bare minimum you need to follow. I guess what I'm saying here is, well, so far we've seen this one part of the freedom pillar of capitalism be an epic fail. But that's not the whole story. Because while we've talked about corporate freedom, and saying that phrase is so cringy, we haven't talked about the ostensible personal freedom associated with capitalism. Because you're probably asking, what's in it for me with capitalism? I don't own a corporation. That's right, it's your personal freedom that you still have. Well, okay, I'm not gonna spoil it yet. But yeah, you have that personal freedom to you know, earn money however you want and spend it however you want, right? That's the theory here at least. I have been doing some wild reading for Capitalism Month and along the way, I encountered the theory of negative and positive freedoms as created by philosopher Isaiah Berlin. Negative freedom is freedom from coercion from others, meaning freedom from tyranny. And this is kind of what the big conceit of the United States is, right? Like that's what the Declaration of Independence was. It was saying we're freeing ourselves from the tyranny of British rule, right? Positive freedom is the personal choice to kind of do whatever you want. Instead of asking, who controls me? Positive freedom asks, what am I free to do with the world's opportunities and resources? Ostensibly, positive freedom is the freedom to pursue every opportunity, to fully achieve your potential, to live the life that you dream of having. And this sounds great, right? Like under the purest, most theoretical version of capitalism, 
consumers and workers are free of the tyranny of government oversight. In theory, if supply and demand is working the way it's supposed to on paper, everyone will get the fairest price for the things they buy, these things will be the best quality, and the workers making it all will always be paid a fair wage. And everybody living within the capitalist system is free to explore all of their potential and opportunities. Except, dun dun dun, as we know now, capitalism both relies on and exacerbates economic inequality. Under the capitalist system we live in, which is neither theoretical nor pure, the wealthiest people are able to explore their full potential. They can choose how they make money and how they spend it. They have all of the positive freedom. Meanwhile, the poorest people have very little positive freedom. And to be honest, even most of the middle class has an ever declining amount of positive freedom. Someone who is working just to survive, who is working several jobs, hustling all the time, you know, just to pay the bills, never really accumulating any personal wealth or sense of security. Well, where is their freedom to try new things, to search for new opportunities and explore their true potential? They don't have it because they can't take risks. They're barely getting by. They're kind of locked in. They're on that hamster wheel. They don't get to switch to a nicer one. And one could argue they also don't get the benefit of negative freedom either. Remember, negative freedom is freedom from tyranny. It's like the true freedom that you know, the United States Constitution implies. But these people, and I'm counting myself in this group, you are in this group too, they live under the tyranny of the wealthy who determine their wages, their rent. They stand in the way of workers' ability to organize and fight for better wages and working conditions. Because is your job unionized? I've never had one that was, and I've many times thought about how my life would have been different if retail workers are unionized, if fashion industry workers were unionized. Because no matter what job role I held, what job title I had in this industry, there was always someone treating me like shit, you know? You also might argue that the working class lives under the tyranny of debt medical debt, student debt, you name it. And this debt robs them of their positive freedom to take any job they want, to spend their money however they want, to pursue their full potential, right? In order to make a living as a member of the working class, workers must give up their freedom in exchange for a wage that allows them to survive. They give up choosing their own schedule, spending time with loved ones, pursuing interests. If their job has a dress code, they give up the freedom of expressing their own personal style. They might not be able to eat or use the bathroom whenever they want, to get a drink of water, take a break, take time off when they need it, and so on. All of those policies, all of those rules, all of those schedules are determined by the employer. How many people aren't getting enough sleep just because they work so much? Imagine that, one of life's simplest pleasures, a good night of sleep lost to corporate tyranny. So much for freedom. Economic inequality robs so many people of their freedom. 
their freedom to have a good life, to do something they love, to feel healthy, rested, well-fed, satisfied, safe, secure, you name it. Where is the freedom in capitalism? Or at least where is the freedom in the version of capitalism that we're living right now? Throughout this month, I've been comparing capitalism to socialism. So let's wrap this all up by exploring how socialism might be more free. Frederick Hayek wrote a book in the 1940s called The Road to Serfdom, and it's pretty much essential reading for libertarians, as he argues that the best society has the least amount of government involvement. People from all parts of the political spectrum have been arguing about it since then. (laughs) But he did make one really good point, albeit begrudgingly. He said, quote, the promise of greater freedom has become one of the most effective weapons of socialist propaganda. So how does socialism offer more freedom? Well, for one, economic inequality is narrowed, maybe even eliminated as the government redistributes wealth. Industries that are currently great sources of debt here in the U.S., like healthcare and education, are provided by the government, removing some of the like economic shackles that currently trap people in jobs and situations that they hate. Power is taken away from companies and, and employers and put in the hands of the workers who are organized into cooperatives, basically unions, led by their peers, whom, whom they have elected. The workers get to dictate the conditions they work under. They can get better benefits, like parental leave, breaks, paid time off. They can explore changing the dress code, the number of hours they work, the kinds of chairs they sit in at work, the scheduling, all the things that are pain points for workers right now. It basically guarantees, and this is all theoretical, of course, that all workers would make a living wage and live a life of relative security. And when you have that kind of security, you get more freedom to explore all of life's opportunities and potential, right? It all sounds great. But once again, all of these economic theories are great in theory. Like, I'm pretty sure I could sell you on capitalism if you'd never seen how it's playing out right now. But as I've said before, I think a combination of socialism and capitalism is the best route a stronger social safety net, and the end of paralyzing debt caused by education and healthcare could give freedom, like actual freedom, to so many people who are not currently free, who are very trapped, who have no mobility in any direction because they're too busy trying to survive. Well, I'm excited for you to meet Sarah of She Rhymes with Orange, someone who is building her own business helping other people clear out their closets. She's one of the many entrepreneurs who are popping up in the secondhand industry, and I love it. Actually, one of my favorite things about the secondhand market is that it has allowed so many people in our community to start a small business while minimizing our waste. I mean, that, what a pairing, right? That's amazing. And while I know for a fact that some big fast fashion players are seeing that market, they're seeing its potential, and they want to swoop in to take a a slice of that pie. My hope is that we can protect all of these small secondhand businesses by continuing to support them, by shopping with them before we look 
anywhere else. Okay, let's meet Sarah. So Sarah, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you. Um, so my name is Sarah Ann Leeds, and I'm the founder of Rhymes with Orange, which is a platform dedicated to just celebrating anything around a one-of-a-kind and kind-to-the-planet closet. Um, I primarily work in two different ways. So I work with individuals to clean out and consciously sell and donate their closets, um, which I'm excited to talk about a little bit more. And then on the flip side, you know, if you're going to fill your closet, um, fill it with the good stuff. So I craft a lot of strategic storytelling and copywriting and content creation for slow, sustainable secondhand brands that I have found across the internet. Um, and then the last fun thing that I do um, that I'm really passionate about as part of Rhymes with Oranges, once a week on Instagram, I host a live show called The One of a Kinds, where I go behind the scenes of really iconic, cool, and fun closets of creators and entrepreneurs and talk about some of their most beloved pieces. That's amazing. What made you decide to start all of this? So... We're going to try to make this as not long-winded as possible, but I it's sort of two distinct things that ended up mm-hmm. coming together. And what I mean by that is I have always been like a naming machine. Like my friends have told me, you need to start a naming agency or a branding agency because <laughs> names like pop into my head. And so this concept, Rhymes with Orange, popped into my head because nothing rhymes with orange. It's kind of this like ism that's mm-hmm. in our vernacular. And yeah. so I was like, oh, something that's so truly one of a kind, like, what should this be? And my best friend and I, um, we were also roommates at the time, no longer due to the pandemic, but we always, like, since growing up through living together, have this shared note and, like, text exchanges of all of our business ideas, like, food ideas, skincare ideas, um, you know, clothing ideas. I love this. It's the best. And so, you know, I said like rhymes with orange, like what should it be? And we even like talked to her mom about it because she's like a really amazing corporate woman. We were trying to come up with like, what should this like great name be? It had no concept around it and kind of just fell to the wayside. And then I was, I kid you not, just lying in bed one night, like trying to fall asleep. And the slogan that came and I was like, one of a kind, kind to the planet. So, uh, you know, so this slogan came to me and I still didn't have like the full robust business idea around that. Um, And then long story short, over time, just pieces came that added to what a really good business could look like around this. Um, And at first it started primarily with um, just e-commerce, like selling, um, secondhand or gently used clothing from people that I either cold outreach to or influencers that I already knew in my circle, um, helping them clean out their closet and then on the flip side, sell it. Um, And I really hit a block um, with that strategy um, for a lot of reasons, Mm -hmm. which I'm happy to talk about. But primarily, you know, speaking of authenticity, um, being a shop owner or like simply, you know, behind the scenes selling is not authentic to me. Like I really missed human connection. I actually just heard that Mm -hmm. there's a a Harvard business school did a study around burnout and the number one cause of burnout is not long hours. It's not being overworked. It's not too many tasks. It was a lack of connection with others. 
And wow, interesting, super interesting. And that is 100% what happened to me when first starting this business, the way that it was initially set up, I had literally no human connection. And I really missed that. And I was like, you know what, I need to stop being afraid to say that, like, I think my personality is really good. And like, everyone should want to be my friend. So (laughs) I'm just going to, you know, be more personable and like show more of myself. And like, you know, I I hate to surrender myself to the algorithms of the Instagrams and the TikToks of the world. But once I started coming in front of the camera, my engagement just completely transformed. And then little things started falling into place of like what this business could really look like with me at the core of Rhymes with Orange. And it turned Uh into something that's much more scalable, sustainable, and enjoyable for me. And so it's what it looks like now, which is working one-on-one with people to what I call get shit out of their closet. That is the Mm -hmm. umbrella term. Um, and then on the flip side from like an academic and, you know, full-time work background, I have experience in a uh, business degree in marketing in English. And so I really wanted to leverage that in a lot of, you know, articles that I write and copywriting and brand tone of voice that I work with, um, you know, the brands that don't always have access to the millions of dollars in marketing budget and marketing spend. And so I wanted to find a way to plug into that economy and give them as much of a premium experience premium experiences they deserve. That's amazing. I mean, I think, I think uh, this is still sort of like the wild, 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 wild west in terms of like business, mm-hmm. um, especially when we talk about like empowering individuals versus like a larger scale, like corporate level, like thread up, like, you know, like this, the individual version of this is probably a lot more beneficial to the person cleaning out their closet than mailing it off to the big corporate like thread up. Like I know I've sold some stuff to thread up and I've gotten like seriously a quarter, like literally 25 cents. <laughs> yeah. <Same here. laughs> How does the process work for someone yeah. who wants to clean out their closet with you versus just throwing it in a box and sending it off to thread up or whatever? Yeah. So what's really interesting is thing one is I think you and I, and most of the people we interact with every day, we know ThreadUp exists and it's almost like second nature to us if we think something like, if we don't want to put the effort into selling it ourselves, like we mm-hmm. know it's going to ThreadUp. Believe it or not, for as scaled as ThreadUp has become, like at least 50% of the clients that I talk to don't even know about ThreadUp yet. So there's actually- That this- doesn't surprise me. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a huge piece of how I work is- um, the very one-on-one intimate, like liaison concierge service. And there's a huge education piece around it. And quite frankly, it is getting over the hurdle of why am I not putting this in a black garbage bag and dropping it at my goodwill (laughs) and, and knowing that there's value in doing something else. And so the process starts with, um, you know, reaching out to me, contacting me. Um, I'm actually, I'm sure every single person you've interviewed has said this, but I am actually doing my website right now. So um, there will be (laughs) a much clearer contact us form. Um, But someone will reach out to me either via TikTok or Instagram or my website directly. Um, I usually set up literally a 10 minute or less call just to understand where you're at. Have you not even begun to tackle your closet or do you know Mm -hmm. what you're looking to part ways with, but just don't know what that next step is. It's kind of, you know, somewhere on that spectrum. Um, And depending on where you're at, let's say, 
you've looked at your closet, you don't even want to reach your hand in there. You don't even know where to get started. (laughs) Yeah, I understand that feeling. Right. So (laughs) honestly, I have found that my biggest value add is accountability. Like sometimes you just need a fucking one hour calendar hold on your calendar and that is your commitment and being accountable to cleaning out your closet. And like, that's what I provide day one. I totally agree on that. I think it's like, you, it's just the same thing with people who are like, I need a buddy to go to the gym. I feel like this is a similar sort of like psychological phenomenon. Yes, I completely agree. And so there is, well, both of my parents are psychologists. So there's definitely a lot of psychology in this process. And so, you know, let's say day one, you're like, I haven't even talked with my closet. I basically am setting up what I call a one hour curation call with you. And it is sort of like a Marie Kondo-esque approach, but I trust most people when they look at things, they're going to know what no longer serves them. It's more Uh about most people will take a two pile approach of donate, get rid of, or actually, no, I want to keep this. And Uh I'm going to take it a step further and say, no, let's make three piles. Things that you actually do want to keep and still serve you things that might not have that much resale value and therefore it might be a donate and things that might have resale value and that's the sell pile. And Mm -hmm. from there, it kind of just, I look at it almost like a funnel of getting more and more targeted with each item over time. And this is definitely my, I work full-time in consulting and this is my like consulting brain coming into the process. But what ends up happening over time is I basically make a very detailed Excel spreadsheet of every single item that we've decided you're going to either donate or sell. And based on several factors of that item, um, we will give recommendations of where it might have resale value. Um, And then for anything that really just won't sell well, won't serve someone else, unfortunately, I'm going to give you recommendations beyond a goodwill or a big donation center that's likely very overwhelmed. And I'm sure anyone who's used to listen to listening to your podcasts understands the metrics behind big donation centers, like 85% mm-hmm. is going to end up in landfill anyways. And so it's about finding their local churches and charities and donation centers that actually do need clothing and they're just missing out. And so if my client tells me where they live, I do some research and give them some recommendations that way. Um, I've also started to discover a lot of really great um, like textile recycling brands. So for example, there's a new company I discovered, I believe they're called Nikki's and you can send in like your old underwear and they'll recycle them. And, you know, wow. I, I think it's amazing. Again, like everything I say, like we're, it's 2021, our words have to be careful. So the due diligence around these companies, you know, I am not, in regulation and who knows what's really going on behind the scenes. But I think that's a really mm-hmm. noble and honest mission. And I would love to support them too. And like, I mean, I can't tell you the last time I tried to sell underwear. So if there's some, you know, somewhere that I can <laughs> bring it without it just turning into trash and yeah. landfill, why not? Um, exactly. So a lot of my process really is that research and giving you targeted recommendations of where each piece can go. And then that next step is what I call snap, sell, save. Um, And so it means snap a photo, we sell your pieces, and you're saving time, energy, effort, and the planet. So um, I have a custom guide that really simplifies taking photos optimized for resale. Um, There's some tips and tricks that um, make the process really easy and also like hundreds of percentages higher to uh, sell or your likelihood to sell. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And so we will, I'll send that over to you, set up a shared Google Drive for us, go through your photos and create listings for you. Um, And that listing process, um, I'm sure we'll get to it, but there's a lot of, you know, ins and outs of making a really strong listing as well. Uh, The biggest thing I try to keep in mind is that 90% of the people that I'll work with will not be active or like part-time resellers. Like they're not looking Mm -hmm. to make this real income for themselves. They're more just looking to say, I'd like to make some fun money and make sure that my clothing isn't ending up in a landfill. What are my options? And so I'm trying to make the process as easy and hands off as possible. And then when I ultimately do hand off all of your listings to you and say like, look, here's your great, you know, Poshmark closet or Mercari closet. Here's some tips and tricks to keep it up and running that fit into your lifestyle. Yeah. No, I think that's amazing. And I think you touched on a really good point that like, this isn't a service for people who want to start a reseller business per se, but it's like a responsible way to clean out your closet. And it sort of gives just your average person the tools to do that. Because I mean, for those of us who have been existing in this bubble for a while, it's all very straightforward. But the reality is it's like really confusing and overwhelming. And I would say difficult to succeed if you've never done it before. Right. That is such an amazing gift to give people. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I will have to say, you know, something that's been really challenging is, um, you know, a lot of people are like, I will literally pay you anything to help me. On the flip side, someone else (laughs) emailed me the other day and was like, wow, this sounds so amazing. Um, I assume this is free of charge. If so, thank you so much for (gasps) your like efforts to support (laughs) others or something, something along those lines, like this, like thanking Uh, me for my altruism. And I'm just like, no, like you aren't an NGO. Like you're a person who accumulated too much shit. Like you have to pay. Yeah, exactly. I, I, Uh, I found that really interesting. And I think it just taps into a larger problem that we love our closets so much and we love fashion so much and style. But when it comes to like, the minimalism piece of things and cleaning out, we suddenly lose any worth attached to things. And we're just like, yep, get it out. Like I, like I'm done. Oh my gosh. I mean, totally. That's how so much ends up in the landfill because it seems like, you know, you talk about how, like if you drive a car off a car lot, it immediately loses its value. Mm -hmm. Right. Clothes, I swear to God, lose their value. The moment you put them in a shopping bag like at the store. And really we're talking about not the actual usefulness value of them, but the value like psychologically that we attach to them. Perceived value. Yes. That's why so much of it ends up in the landfill. Or like I'll hear people saying like thrift stores have gotten really expensive. And I'm like, well, I think our sense of value is really skewed and what clothes really are, which to be fair is partially driven by fast fashion, making clothes cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. We don't even understand the materials and workmanship that go into making clothing. You know, we just like, we're so detached from it. Um, Right. It's so frustrating to me that someone would be like, so this is for free, right? This really labor intensive (laughs) service that you're offering me. It's free, right? Gosh. I started my career in sales. So like being customer centric is like very important to me. And so it's so hard for me to like, not whip out like, bitch Sarah Um, but (laughs) I'm kind of just like okay you are not right for me and we shall move on yeah exactly you know exactly oh my gosh 
how do you choose the right platform? Because there are so many right now, and I think they're going to be a lot more. Like, what's your mental process there? So there's a lot of factors that go into it. I'm going to be totally honest. Nine out of 10 times, if we're actually selling your items, it's going to be Poshmark. Like this, it, I'm sorry for people who don't like it. Like I have been a day one Poshmarker since high school. <laughs> um, I actually like when I was going into senior year of college, like I got on the phone with the CEO because I was like, I'm going to be a brand ambassador. Like I love them. And so I think that it, for the everyday seller, they're the best. Um, that being said, there are a lot of other factors that will make me choose another platform. So I meet a lot of people who are like, I would rather get slightly less money to make sure that it's just out of my closet, in which case I might recommend ultimately a thread up, or maybe um, if you have some luxury pieces, maybe we'll go the real, real route somewhere that operates more on a consignment basis, as opposed to a resell platform basis. Um, if we're going to, if you're like, no, like I'm in it for the long game. Like I want to resell. Um, a lot of people who start with me actually will say, I already have a Depop and a Poshmark and I really like both. I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. And so in that case, I'll do an audit and provide you with specific recommendations of how to beef up your listings and we'll use what you already have. Um, and so it really is on a client to client basis. And if you're truly just starting from scratch, what it, the first question I often ask is, are you looking to be in the long game and make a little bit more money and still have it in your closet till it sells? Or are you like, I need it out immediately and I'll take a greater mm -hmm. pay cut. And that's right. sort of what determines my recommendation. I mean, that makes sense. It kind of is just like how fast and how easy do you need it? And there's like a definite, like if you were looking at a graph, the faster and easier, the less money you're going to get back right. on it, you know? Right. What are the biggest challenges that you find? Because now you're sort of an expert on helping people who are new to this world. What are the biggest challenges you find that the brand new reseller experiences? So I, there's things on for the individual seller. One of the biggest challenges I find is I've actually noticed a lot of parallels to selling clothing to selling a home like real estate. We feel like our clothes because it's ours and you know, we're humans and so great, like deserve a premium. And so we get really frustrated when people, you know, try to undercut you know, the price that we've initially put up. And so we're like, well, I'm not going to sell it to you. Like I listed it for 30 bucks and you only want to give me 10. And we get mm -hmm. very upset about that. Yeah, and yeah. that is, that is the biggest hurdle I have to get my clients over is like, you have to decide, like, would you rather have $5 for this or zero? Like mm -hmm. it's totally up to you. And if you'd rather hang on to it and see what happens, like be my guest, but it's like real estate, like is a house likely to sell if it's been on the market at the same price for 365 days? Maybe not. And so <laughs> that's, I'm like obsessed with million dollar listing and like everything HGTV. So this is why I speak this way. But um, <laughs> I, I really treat it that way. I think I personally, maybe it's because I've been in the, you know, selling my own clothing for so long. Like I've completely, you know, detached my personal feelings about clothing. Like some, a few select pieces I'll put on there intentionally really high because I actually don't really want to get rid of them. So I'm like, well, someone gives me a great value for 
I'll part ways with it, but otherwise I'm going to hang on to it. If you genuinely are looking to get rid of something and ensure that it's not ending up in landfill, I feel like being as cost in as possible is really critical. And so that's the biggest challenge I have to get people to accept. Um, and then on the flip side, like when we look at the actual marketplace, like challenges there, um, quite frankly, they're all extremely clunky. Like even Poshmark, mm-hmm. which I love, the fact that you can't share your entire closet in one button I know. is insane to Why? me. It drives me crazy. I feel like there are certain aspects of Poshmark that make it such like a time suck, you know, and that would be one of them. And so here's the problem though. So that's a huge time suck. I do give some tips and tricks on the best times to share your closet so that if you can do it, like it doesn't ruin your whole day. Like I'll tell you exactly when to do it. So basically at the very end of my process, the benefit, the sort of like key package you're handed with is your closet is ultimately linked back to Rhymes with Orange. You're featured in my newsletter and socials and all the things that get that cross exposure. And then lastly, I provide you some tips and tricks to keep up with that particular platform that you're on. And so, for example, that would be a tip of like X time is best for you to share your closet and don't even worry about it for the rest of the day or things like that. Um, that being said, like that's super annoying about Poshmark, but at least they even give you the option to share your closet. Cause on the flip side, I just learned that with Mercari, their search algorithm only functions by new to old listings. And there's, and you can't like share a quote unquote new listing unless you edit the entire listing and save, which is even more of a time suck. So if anything was posted after you posted yours, which of course it is, cause it's a busy app, you're just going to get pushed further and further down the totem pole and your listing will be hidden. And so if you're a passive seller, I'm not going to encourage you to do that either. And so it's a really tricky game and you have to really just understand like the time and energy you're looking to put in after our time working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What other advice or sort of hurdles do you feel that sellers need to sort of leap over to get it done? So this is something that I help with in that like photo guide I create for folks. Um, a lot of people think um, mm-hmm. any piece, no matter how they you know photograph it, is going to sell really well if they do a good product description. And then on the flip side, they think if they have amazing photos and like no description, it's going to sell. <laughs> oh my god! I I mean, as a customer, I'm like, yeah, the both of those are so wrong. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, that's what happens quite often. Is I won't even do like a full on selling for people. Sometimes they'll just reach out to me and they'll be like. I've had a Depop for a year and no sales. Like, can you tell me why? And when I look at it, I'm like, your pictures are really cool, but you don't even have one hashtag and you need hashtags for Depop, which is a whole other thing. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you're missing out on a huge, like, it's, you know, talk about SEO, like what I write for brands. It's like that whole piece of it too. Like, the, your item is a brand, like, people are buying it. And so, unless it's like the trendiest like Gucci hat or like Y2K bag, like you need the hashtag to get it in front of people or you need a product description to get it in front of people. Um, And so that's like something that people find just like time consuming and annoying and challenging. And I get that. And so that's been a big hurdle as well. Yeah. I I think that is a really good call. What's like None of these websites really – websites isn't the right term. That makes me sound like a grandma. None of these, like, <laughs> platforms uh, really come with, like, clear directions and guidance. And so 
you might as a customer look and be like, well, it seems like the stuff with the best photos is the most appealing with me. So that's what I'm going to focus on. Or like Mm -hmm. the whole thing, it's, it's such a difficult marriage of things you need to do because in my experience, just working for larger retailers, most people don't read the item descriptions at all, which is infuriating when you're a merchant. But like at the same time, you need to have it there because some customers are really like words driven. I don't know. It's like the whole and the hashtags and like the sharing and all the tricks I've been hearing from people. Like there's not like a like a handbook that Poshmark or Depop come with. I'm sure that you could probably go read a fact or something, but like like an FAQ. But who's going to do that? Uh, exactly. And that's honestly, again, why people do decide to work with me is because I will do all the shit that you don't want to do, which is provide the tips and tricks from the FAQs or from blogs. And like, you know, even your website on Closed Horse World, one of your contributors, I think her name is maybe Haley. Mm-hmm. Um, she has phenomenal tips. And it's like, your everyday consumer isn't going to go out finding that. But someone like me, who's really like, is working with people through this process will find things like that and hand it off to you. So I kind of consider myself like a conduit or a liaison in bringing the right information to you and connecting those dots. Well, it is a full-time job to sort of pull together all of this information. And so for the average person who just wants to clean out their closet, you start to see why it's just way more appealing to throw it in a trash bag, you know, because it's like, I might list it on Poshmark and put all this work into it and then no one will buy it or I put it on Depop and I didn't hashtag it and no one ever found it. And then you're like discouraged. You're like, I'm never doing that again. And you throw it all in a trash bag and dump it off at the Goodwill. So you can see it's like, it's work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I completely resonate. I also think like a huge, again, like one of the biggest hurdles is just like patience and being in it for the long game. Like if you do want to make some money, Um, you know, I think on the flip side too, is it's almost like a, I like time batch everything. So I'm like, okay, well, if there's been no traction for three months, then I'll adjust the price. If still no traction for, you know, another three months, I'll adjust the price again. If it truly isn't selling and it's been like a season has passed or something, you know, maybe it's time to bring it to thread up. Like you really just have to give yourself patience. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's one of the biggest things, uh, I also think something that I've started doing with people really unexpectedly, but I've loved it, is just one-on-one styling sessions. And it's like, let's take what's in your closet now and find ways to reimagine it. Because if it's not going to sell and we really don't want it to go to landfill, let's imagine some ways that you can re-love it. Mm-hmm, and, that, mm-hmm. and that's you know just new ways of thinking about things. Totally, and even totally. for me, I'm like so tempted. I'm like half the time I'm people and I'm like, shit, I kind of want to buy what they're showing me too. It's like so cute that I have, I have to like I hang bet. back. <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but that is definitely like, a, you know, one of the side effects of the job. <laughs> exactly. It's like so awesome, but also so dangerous. <laughs> oh my gosh, I bet. Something you and I talked about before we started recording, before we had like our pregame call <laughs> was, you know, how do we convince people to shop secondhand first? Because that's really... I think we can all agree the future of sort of mitigating consumption and reusing and just using in general the like billions of clothes that already exist. How do we how do we sway some minds there? Because you know, we already know that, but most people don't shop that way and it's been kind of stigmatized. Right. So I think it needs to feel two different things. I think it needs to feel 
optimistic and like escapist the same way that like, you know, Cardi B and Fashion Nova feels like you need that, that aspirational quality behind it. Um, and then I think it needs to feel just as accessible as the major brands that we see, you know, day in and day out on our social media or, you know, Mm -hmm, before, mm -hmm. before COVID the brick and mortars. Um, so there's a lot of ways that that can happen. I think, um, one company that's been really interesting, and I've actually spoken with the founder, um, is a Shopify plugin called Recurate. And they're basically putting the circular economy or secondhand back into the, you know, that power back into the hand of the original brand. And so what that means is like, if I go to, you know, I don't know where do we shop these days. <laughs> is it Poshmark? Because I'm like trying to stay true to my brand. Um, I know, I but, know, yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, if I go to, you know, this is like the Voldemort, he who shall not be named. But if I go to Zara.com, you know, there's tops, pants, swim, and then there's a pre-loved tab as well. And so with this Shopify plugin, I can bring the resale economy directly into my brand umbrella, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. And also it's attracting the consumers you already see. You know, Zara isn't a good example because they will always want you to buy their new fast fashion brands and they're not high quality enough to constantly be resold anyways, um, which is a whole other issue. But, um, you know, a more sustainable brand that maybe is, you know, typically too expensive for folks, you can... Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really interesting way that the industry can start to pivot to be, um, to treat secondhand first and make it, I always say, instead of secondhand first, like make secondhand feel second nature, feel like second nature. Um, so that's, you know, one way to go about things. I think the second thing too is, you know, when I talked about the optimism, um, or the escapism behind the industry, I think that that's really key. I think, when you embed yourself into this space and you're surrounded by eco influencers and sustainable initiatives like remake our world or brightly, these are all incredible platforms and they do have huge followings, but you're following them almost because it's like a scared street program. (laughs) Like you see the damaging, (laughs) you see the damaging shit that's going on. And if you like retail therapy is real and I'm not trying to deny that and the rest of the world is scary. So sometimes if adding to cart makes you feel better, sure. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to be a revolutionary and I'm not trying to say perfection over progress. In fact, it's the opposite. Um, and so if we can infuse some of the like fun and optimism into shopping secondhand that a lot of these fast fashion brands have tapped into really well, I think you'll see the industry change. And so like what a major way that I do this, for example, is with this live show that I host the one of a kinds on Instagram. Like we make loving what's already in your closet so much fun. And I haven't interviewed only secondhand or sustainable bloggers. And yet 90% of the clothing that they've shown me that have the best memories associated with and that they wear time and again have been thrifted pieces. And so it's that normalization over time of like thrifting is awesome. And like, you're going to love your pieces so much more. That's really cool. Like one of the women that I recently interviewed was telling me how she like met this sketchy woman in like a parking garage just for a Chanel blouse. And I'm like, yes, we <laughs> like we love this story. Like we're so yeah, here for this. Yeah, totally. Um, and so I think, you know, making these fun stories, like, you know, obviously we're on this tiny little Instagram screen, but maybe one day it'll be a TV show or like, you know, you're seeing your celeb favorite celebrities rewearing clothing. So it's again like up the, 
you know, up the totem pole or up the pipeline, we're seeing like higher echelons start to normalize outfit repeating in secondhand, I think will have really massive downstream effects. Yeah, I think so too. I think that, you know, I think I, every time, like, for example, Meghan Markle wears something, uh, I, the next day see tons of like stuff in my newsfeed, like wear the same dress that Meghan Markle wore or wear the cheaper version of it. You know, it's always like, Mm -hmm. here's the $20 version of what Meghan Markle wore. And I'm not picking on her, but just like thinking of someone that met someone that many, many people respect and admire and look to as a style icon. Right. Uh, Imagine if someone like that started wearing thrifted clothes or secondhand, like it would, it would have this huge ripple effect. Um, I mean, there'd still be people being like, hey, look at this $20 Amazon version of her thrifted dress. But I think it would normalize it because there is this stigma attached to secondhand and thrift clothing that it's something for poor people. That you're wearing someone else's trash ostensibly. And of course, we laugh at that, though. It's like so ridiculous. But, you know, for the average person, the average person who like looks to Meghan Markle and wants to buy her coat – if she said her coat was from a thrift store, it would be just so huge. Like I a shot in the agree. arm. Yeah. Because, you know, for, she's like a paragon of like success to so many people. To see that you could be successful and wealthy and still care about the planet by wearing secondhand, that would be – I mean, now I'm like, how do we get her on board, right? <laughs> Call her people now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's what we need is we need more – influencers like that yeah who have just this mass appeal uh those are the people who are really going to be the ones who help us normalize this i just don't know how we get there <laughs> so 100% could not agree with you more i think a lot of people will um kind of i don't know the, they're going to put down the influencer economy or say it's it, it, the way that we know it today is becoming outdated and it's the end of the influencer economy. And I personally, whatever you define influencer is up to you, but my business relies on influencers. The closets that I started out with when I launched Rhymes with Orange are quote unquote influencers. And I love these girls. I love their communities. Every single person that's on my show, the one of a kinds, there's also considered influencers. You know, um, we are all influencers in our own respect. However many followers you have on Instagram, you are influencing those people. Um, And so someone like a Meghan Markle, she's influencing millions of people. And so, you know, she, one day she can, you know, perhaps take accountability the way that a Tiffany Haddish does or Jane Fonda does. Um, Natalie Kelly is another actress who made a pledge to not buy anything new for 365 days. So we're starting to see it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's also going to take people like, I'm like, hey, Instagram gods, like blow me up so that everyone like wants to shop secondhand too. Like make ourselves feel like our own influencers so that, you know, people start to become more encouraged by it. I think um, it's the access and influence that will ultimately make us change our buying habits. And so if influencers start demanding that from the brands that they work with, the market will have to adjust. Absolutely. I totally agree. And it's important for everybody to be mindful of while Instagram is like the hub for all of us and like how we've all found one another, ultimately Instagram is in the business of selling people things, right? So it's like we're always going to see more posts trying to encourage us to buy new things than we are secondhand. And so I think it also is convincing Instagram, 
you know, large business as a whole, that secondhand is a viable, a viable business strategy, you know? So if Zara, who has way more, you know, marketing buying power on social media, suddenly had a secondhand offshoot, like, I mean, I know Zara is like the worst example, like you said, <laughs> I don't close this can up, but it's just the one that comes to mind. Like I constantly getting Zara ads on Instagram. Um, if they were able to, you know, be pushing secondhand, it would get into more eyes as well. And I also think, you know, when we talk about influencers, it becomes it becomes really complicated because as the sort of influencer revenue stream exists right now, it's that you have to sling new stuff. You know, mm-hmm. the companies that have the most money also seem to be selling the cheapest, most like fast fashion-y clothes, right? And then you look at someone like Daniel Bernstein, who is a major Instagram influencer who literally has her own line of fast fashion. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, how do we undo that too? I, you know, I won't go down the Danielle Bernstein rabbit hole, but I just, <laughs> I find it, I think something that speaking about optimism and what the future looks like, I I love Instagram and I spend the most of my time engaging with my community on Instagram. But um, since this video of mine went viral on TikTok, my following has really spiked there. And so I've been spending a lot of time there. And the next generation, Gen Z, they are also spending the most of their time there and they do not stand Danielle Bernstein. And so I know, I love it. I feel like it shows a generational divide, right. actually. Right. Yeah. And so I just think these are the things that we should keep in mind when we talk about like what the future looks like. It, as you know, Gen Z is still, they have a lot of buying power, but they're still relatively young. They don't have a ton of disposable income. Mm-hmm. Once they do, once they start having the level of disposable income that, you know, someone in their, you know, early to mid twenties, like I do, like they control the buying power in the market and they're vehemently like, you know, anti the Danielle Bernsteins of the world. You know, I have mixed feelings about her, but it, you know, this is what we're seeing on a TikTok that will shift how brands have to be held accountable for their sustainability practices. And guess what? If you're not sustainable, sick, but good for you, but at least be transparent about it. Like that's like how I like treat my friends in life. I'm like, if you're not going to make it to dinner because you simply don't feel like coming, that's fine. But like, don't tell me your cat is sick. Like, just tell me the truth. Uh, I know. I know know what I mean. I mean, I think that is some major life advice. And I would also say, like, if all along you were planning not to come to dinner, don't text me 15 minutes beforehand that you're not coming. I'm just putting that out there, too. Like, I know that, you know, these are this is pre-COVID life. Let's say a new COVID, post-COVID life that we, when we're not going to go to dinner, we just tell people straight up well in advance. Yes. <laughs> facts. Straight facts. Like, yeah. I get it. Sometimes you just don't want to go anywhere. I actually get stressed about this idea that I'm going to have to start going places again. <laughs> so I totally understand it. Like, what if we just have a refresh here? <laughs> right. I'm, no, I'm so with you. Like, these are just broader life lessons that we learn from your podcast. So noted. <laughs> Yeah, we're learning all all of the things. All the things. <laughs> what else do you think for the future? I mean, I feel like you've got so many ideas here. You're like a think tank of how we like change secondhand. Thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, it's really funny when I, when this video blew up, I obviously, my dad is a high school teacher. So I was like, do you know what viral means, dad? And, you know, we started talking about what, <laughs> what this could mean, you know, for the business and for what I'm working on. And he's like, at the very least, you're just full of ideas at the very least. And so that will mean something. And I think, um, 
doubling down on what Rhymes with Orange has already started and what it can become is very core to my passion for the future. Um, I've learned to love short form content. Um, I hated it at first. And then once I stuck to it, like video content, um, I've really enjoyed it. And so batching my content into things that really fit with my brand um, is really exciting and important to me. So for example, on Fridays now, I do four fab things that happened in slow fashion this week. And it's almost like a little newscast. Um, And so these little bits of content over time that again, in the core purpose of normalizing secondhand and sustainability um, is something I'm really excited for, for the future. I think just broader brand recognition in a fun and genuinely me way is Mm -hmm. the future. Like being on this podcast is goal check writing articles. So I've partnered with um, a European based publication called a sustainable closet to write articles um, and be sort of their like content strategist there. Um, The founder Sophie's amazing. And we have a lot of really fun calls like check working with people like her discovering new brands. So for example, I was on Upwork, found a slow fashion line that I loved. I applied. They were like, oh, this job is closed, but we actually have XYZ other opportunities. Can we work on these together? So it's like building relationships, growing and scaling over time so that Rhymes with Orange and me, you know, as the one woman show behind it becomes really synonymous with making secondhand, slow and sustainable fashion accessible and really fucking fun. I think you Mm -hmm. just have to, it just has to feel fun. And I think that's what the future looks like. Um, and then last but not least, that I know I keep bringing it up, but hosting this show, The One of a Kinds, on Tuesdays has genuinely been the highlight of my week, week after week. And meeting new people and showing others, you know, what's behind the closet. Like it's like room raiders, but closet raiders. <laughs> and I think that that's, a, you know, a big piece of what the future of secondhand should look like is seeing influencers, ultimately celebrities, ultimately people we watch on screen, normalize outfit repeating and secondhand. And I think that is a very big goal of mine for the rest of the year is to try as best as I can to bring that awareness about I, I mean, I love that. I think that's true. Thinking about our closets, they're like so personal, you know, because I mean, like your coworkers right. never see your closet. Most of your family never sees your closet. And it's like your personal territory. And, you know, some people have serious anxiety about what's going on in there. I, I, I feel like more people do than not, whether they feel like they have too much stuff or it's disorganized or, I mean, like for me, I'm constantly in my closet trying to like zhuzh it up, even though like no one goes in there, you know, but it just feels, it feels like <laughs> I really need to stay on top of it. And I also, Dustin and I have been watching a lot of uh, 90 Day Fiance and also um, Married at First Sight. And one of the pain points in both of these is that the one per it's always the woman, always has this wild closet of stuff they never wear. There's always like a hundred pairs of shoes that are really uncomfortable, you know, all of that. And it creates all this angst for the couple having to deal with it, whether it's like the woman's sort of embarrassed that she has all this stuff or the guy is like, what an incredible burden. How are we going to adjust our lives around this? And Mm. it's like funny, like the life lessons you take from reality TV sometimes. But I'm like, yeah, like our closets, our possessions our clothing and our shoes and our accessories, they can be such an intense source of anxiety for us, especially when we have a lot that we don't actually wear. And it's like, you know, getting, accepting that and then moving forward and making decisions based on that. That's where we all usually 
lose lose control of it. Like we're just like keep ignoring it, jamming the door closed, you know, buying more weird bins to organize it instead of saying like, how much do mm-hmm. I actually wear in here and what do I want to do with it? And I think that's what pushes people to this like, okay, now I'm in panic mode and I'm filling like eight garbage bags and I'm just going to abandon them in the middle of the night outside the Goodwill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like the dark side of it. And I mean, that's what also really has been so fortuitous about this video, like legit blowing up on TikTok is like the people I've met, the gratitude of like just having someone to talk through all the shit they have to sift through because it is so overwhelming. Like, I want to do that for the rest of the year and the year after that and the year after that. Cause that's like, you, it's just, it's a great way to connect with people to reground them in what a beautiful closet looks like. Like, if you love style and fashion, just you can do it in a more responsible way. And it doesn't have to feel like the pain point or like the hidden secret of your fashion addiction or something like that. Like, it's, it can be a beautifully curated space and you don't have to get there by throwing shit into the garbage. There's a better way to do it. And so I think that the future is very bright for that. It's just a little bit, a mm-hmm. little bit of education, mm-hmm. but it's fun education. Yeah, and we'll get there. our relationship with our stuff because I think some, you know, much like yeah. personal relationships, some relationships with people are healthy and really help you grow as a person. And then other relationships are toxic and destructive our relationships with our stuff can take both routes as well. You know, and just even thinking about you talking about, you know, do you want to get rid of it or do you want to make money off of it? Or like, I guess our perception of the value of our stuff is so complicated too because I think there's a certain amount of shame attached to like looking in your closet, finding all the stuff you bought and never wear and you start to think about like the money you spent on it and you feel bad, right? And so I think when we think like, I don't want to just get paid $5 for this. I spent $100 on it. That's that's where that conflict comes into play. Just just that we like- That's really wise. That, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, because I have gone through this myself. The first time I listed a bunch of stuff on Poshmark, I'd be like, okay, this is a $200 dress. I'm selling it for 50 bucks because I want to get rid of it. And then someone offered me 10 and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? why are you so rude? And then I was like, then you step back and you're like, wait, okay, but like, do I want to get rid of this? Or am I really hoping someone's getting me $50 for this? Like, what's my end goal here? And if you, if your expectation is that you want $50, fine, then be prepared to wait a long time, you know? And so I, I don't know. It's like selling secondhand, buying secondhand, all of that. It involves us changing our relationships with stuff, the way we view the value of stuff and kind of like disconnecting us ourselves from our current perceptions of value. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a journey for everyone, but I do think that getting into both selling your stuff secondhand and buying secondhand is a path to changing the way you your relationship with stuff, I think. Right. And I, I think, you know, when we talk about the future of Rhymes with Orange, I think a big piece of that mindset shift being successful for me is actually making a very, you know, bold claim that my target market in terms of clients or customers or community are not, you know, like I love connecting personally with other sustainable influencers and brands and supporting them. But when it comes to getting shit out of your closet, sustainable 
people and secondhand shoppers, your everyday secondhand shopper, you're not my target market. You're my target market is the person who shops at Fashion Nova and Shein mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Zara because I'm going to convince you, I will convince you that you need to change and you're going to love me all the more for it. So like let me start with you and then bring you into my happy planet friendly world. We don't have to like I understand that there's the ugly side of fashion and that's why you stay in the bright, happy place. Like, I'm not trying to pull you down. I'm just trying to show you (laughs) that it's like actually so much fun over here too. (laughs) It is. It is. And and like you said, like the stuff that you find secondhand, whether it's thrifting or via any of these platforms, it feels so much more like special and personal because you did go on this quest to find it. Whereas like if I wanted to go buy clothes right now from Fashion Nova, the whole thing would take all of 20 minutes and would show up like a week later. And it just, where's the relationship with that stuff right there? It's not. It's like, here it is. And I don't care about it. I'm going to wear it once and throw it out. And that, that is what's been going on for way too long. I've been a part of that too, man. You know, so I, I understand it. Yeah. I understand the psychology and the lack of attachment that exists there. Right. It's such a complicated system. I think a lot of us also are like, well, if I'm going to be like, you know, like, God forbid I wear the same dress twice in a post, like this is how we think now. And it's like, literally nothing will happen. I pinky swear. And I think what would be really interesting too, when we talk about ways that the industry can change is yes, there will always be branded partnerships or like hashtag gifted or hashtag sponsored, like things like that. But what if instead of a brand sending you their entire new collection for you to share, what if they send you one new piece and then your challenge as part of like this sponsored post is also show us your most treasured belonging from our brand that's been in your closet forever. And like that would be such an interesting campaign to me and still motivate me to buy from you. Like I think I'm here for it. I'll buy from you. But again, it's small changes over time. So yes, it's a consumption mindset still, but it's slower. And it's not like bulk orders and hauls and, you know, these things that the algorithm have been trained to reward for. And so if we can just shift that a little bits over time, we don't have to abandon a consumption mindset. It's just a slower mindset. Then that's, you know, that's all we can ask for. Like I'm a realist and I'm patient and I just think, that is the future of Rhymes with Orange, and that's the future of normalizing secondhand. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Do you have any parting wor- words of wisdom or advice for everyone? Mm. I know this is the hardest part, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thing one, so a lot of my – I've posted this on Instagram. My followers have messaged me about this, so I'm going to say it on the podcast too because we're manifesting it. Okay. Be- Benny Drama needs to be – on my show, the one of a kinds. We need to see what his closet looks like. If you don't know (laughs) him, he is an actor and like sketch artist influencer on Instagram. He is actually a genius. He is so funny, so original, such a breath of fresh air. And that would be my ultimate dream is to share with everyone what goes down in his closet. So that's parting Mm -hmm. words, number one. (laughs) Um, Benny drama, listen to clothes horse. Um, And, you know, on a real note, I think um, parting words of wisdom for anyone who is looking to feeling like they're missing a creative outlet, feeling like they've started something and it isn't quite right. I feel you. That's how I felt about Rhymes with Orange for the longest time. It didn't feel quite right. It felt like a slog. I felt like I was 
I'm going to butcher the expression, but it's, you know, like fitting a square peg into a round hole. And if you're true to yourself and what your ultimate goals really are for your business and you put your authentic self into that, the change is going to be wild. And that's really what happened to me. And now I'm creating something that is gradually becoming more and more successful over time. And I have fun with it and it doesn't feel forced and I see a much brighter future for it. And so, and it's all in an effort to make secondhand second nature and cool as fuck and like, let's do it. (laughs) And so those are my parting words. It's just to be true to yourself and you're going to see whatever you're setting out to do just blossom in a really, really awesome way. I love that. I think that's great. And it's, it just, it applies to everything really. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah, for taking the time to talk with me. Sarah's website is currently under construction, but it's coming very, very soon. So you can stay up to date on what Sarah's doing, when her website's going to be ready and everything else by following her on Instagram at she rhymes with orange. You can find her on TikTok using the same name. Don't worry. I'm going to put this all in the show notes and please check out her Instagram live show, the one of a kinds where she raids your favorite influencers and entrepreneurs closets to tell the stories behind their most iconic pieces. She has a new episode coming this Tuesday. So Maybe you just want to pause for a second and follow her on Instagram real quick so you don't miss it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, as always, I'm going to say this, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to move Close Horse up the charts and to get it into new ears. So it's an essential part of growing the movement. And by leaving a rating and review, you're doing a great public service. It's your good deed for the day. And don't forget to tell your friends too, because there's power in numbers and the more of us who are aware of all these things, who are thinking about these things, the more our power to change the world grows. Don't forget, you can find me on Instagram at Close Horse Podcast. And every Friday, I've been doing a really fun Instagram live thing at 8 p.m. Eastern time. This week, I took a bunch of questions about greenwashing. I might take some more questions about greenwashing this week because, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and I also give a lot of updates about the blog and other stuff I'm working on. If you miss any of the Instagram lives, don't worry, you can find them on my IGTV channel, which is, you know, on the Close Horse podcast profile. Uh, if you want to meet other Close Horse listeners, because of course you do, because it's like the raddest group of people, join the Close Horsing Around Facebook group. And if you haven't listened to the department yet, go give it a listen. I snuck an episode, one of my favorite episodes, into the Close Horse feed last week. And I know a lot of you are already hooked. So go check it out. Thanks, as always, to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye.